Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode 103. Thank you for joining me. Today on the podcast, we are speaking with Marcy Duffy, who works for Intuitive, and we are talking all things robotics. So if you have a robotic service line, if you're interested in a new robotic service line, then I definitely recommend that you hang out with us for the next half hour. But before we talk to Marcy, I want to take a minute and talk certification. Are you looking to take the CRCST exam? Do you know somebody in your department who needs to take the exam? Well, guess what? HSPA is conducting the pilot exam for the CRCST certification exam this year. As part of HSPA's ongoing test development process, an update to the CRCST exam will launch in the fall of 2024. Now, the current version of the exam is based on the 2017 CRCST exam content outline, uses HSPA's Central Service Technician Manual, the 8th edition, uses ANSI AMI ST79 2010 edition, and the AORN Perioperative Standards and Recommendation Practices, the 2017 edition as reference. So this current exam will be available until May 16th of 2024. Now a discounted pilot test for the updated exam will be offered between June 1st and June 15th of 2024. Following the June pilot test, the CRCST testing will not be available from June 16th through September 9th of 2024. Regular and ongoing testing of the updated exam will then resume September 10th, 2024. Now, applicants for the discounted June CRCST pilot exam will be available beginning March 1st. The discount is 30% off the regular testing fees. So March 1st, don't miss out on this opportunity. Now, if you need more information, here's how you can access it. Go to the myhspa.org, click on the certification tab, scroll till you see certification overview, click on the overview, then go down to CRCST, learn more information, click there, and then from there you can see learn more about the pilot exam. Or if that's too much, once you go onto the myhspa.org website, go to the upper right hand corner there is a search function search pilot exam now this is a great opportunity to get your certification to take the exam at a discounted price so again applications start march 1st 2024 don't miss out on this opportunity
Marcy, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, John. This is great. I'm very excited. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about Intuitive and your role with the company? So my role within Intuitive is I am currently the Genesis Reprocessing Product Manager. Um, I work with, with our care teams and our Genesis teams, helping create and develop programs for our customers. Anytime you bring in a new instrument or medical device into sterile processing, you know, you need a plan. And sometimes with new instrumentation, it's a simple matter of just reviewing IFUs, making sure you can follow them. Adding a robotic service line, in my mind, is really not so simple. Can you kind of talk about some of the factors that someone should consider when planning a new robotic service line? So when we look at um, adding any new products into reprocessing, um, especially robotics, we want to look at first, like, what, what does your layout look like? Um, what kind of equipment are you currently utilizing? And does it meet um, our validations and the parameters to follow the validated IFU? Another thing we always like to consider is your workflow. We like to look at your current workflow, your current situation or state as it is, and how will the robotics program fit into your current workings? And what kind of suggestions can we make to kind of make that transition easy for you and your teams? So as with most instrumentation, pre-treatment is critical. It's important after its use. Can you talk about the benefits of a good pre-treatment program with robotics and what it might look like? Last, is pre-treatment the sole responsibility of the sterile processing department? With any surgical procedure, we always want to look at the point of use care and handling. So we look at what is being done in the OR. So before transportation, before that equipment gets down into our SPD department, we want to educate our OR staff to have them do the point of use cleaning, care and handling. Um, so we can also effectively clean those instruments. So looking at our, our pre-treatment and our IFU, and when we're doing our point of use care and handling, we want to make sure we're following the guidelines that we have. So in our IFU, we have the steps listed where we're going to prime our instruments with a 15cc syringe or 20cc syringe with 15cc's of uh, cool water, which is the most frequently used cold water. We're going to want to keep those instrument tips moist for transportation. We're going to want to put them in a container system or some sort of transportation method to keep those instruments safe from any damages during transportation. But we also want to use um, enzymatic spray to keep them moist. Same thing with our endoscope. Our endoscope has three buttons on the top. We want to prime with that 15 cc's of sterile water, spray the endoscope down, place it back in tray, lid secure, and put that right in the case cart. What we also recommend and we want to see no matter after any procedure is that we're removing that gross bio burden before we start any of those steps. So wiping those instruments down, getting rid of that gross bio burden first really helps that pretreatment soak into any of the other residual bio burden that's still on that instrument. So after pretreatment, decontamination of all instruments is such an important step in reprocessing of robotic instrumentation. Can you talk about the steps involved in reprocessing? When we're looking at the steps involved in reprocessing our instrumentation, 
we really depend on that pre-treatment in the OR to happen. So that way, when the instruments arrive down in SPD, our teams can get right to work on reprocessing those instruments. When we look at these steps, you know, the OR has a few steps to do, but the SPD and DCON has several steps to go through. We start in DCON by removing the instruments from those case carts. We look and inspect at those instruments. We remove any accessories that may be on those instruments still. A lot of times when these instruments come down from the OR, we'll notice that the monopolar curve scissors could still have that tip accessory cover on there. So we're going to make sure that we remove any accessories before we start that reprocessing. Then we check the indicator on the instrument. On the back of the housings of the instruments, there's a red indicator that'll usually let our staff know that that instrument has reached its max uses. If those instruments come down, we don't want to reprocess them. You know, we don't want them to make it back up into the OR. We want to make sure that we're following the hospital policy, either discarding those instruments replacing them or we are notifying our robotic coordinator um, so that they can be ordered if needed. After we've checked the indicator, we're going to go ahead and prepare that solution. So most of our sinks in SPD are calibrated for our solution to dilution, I like to call it. So you're going to press your button and fill your sink and you're going to get that enzymatic solution prepared. Once you have that enzymatic solution prepared, you're going to take your syringe, your 20cc syringe, you're going to prime the instrument in port one, then you're going to go ahead and soak that instrument. The instruments get soaked for 30 minutes. So when we're looking at workflow processes, making things better, sometimes that 30 minute soak and holding up a sink it can be an issue. A lot of times what we recommend is using a soak bin to help alleviate any of that congestion or workflow with our SPDs. So getting that 30 minute soak in, once that 30 minute soak is done, we flush the instrument, we spray it brush it, rinse it, and then it's finally ready for that ultrasonic. So we place it in the ultrasonic. Depending on what type of ultrasonic you have, you would follow either the manual or automated process. Place that instrument in the ultrasonic. When that ultrasonic cycle is finished, it's gonna come on out. If your ultrasonic has that flush and final rinse, you can go ahead and place that instrument through the pass-through window, send it through prep and pack, or you can send it through for thermal disinfection through your washer disinfector on thermal disinfection cycle only. That's the cycle that we currently recommend for our instrumentation. Once that instrument is over on that prep and pack side, that's kind of where that handoff is, where they'll just lubricate, package it, and sterilize it. So that's for the uh, XI instruments. The endoscope's a little bit, um, has a few less steps, but again, it's still gonna follow pretty much a similar process. So when we're looking at our XI endoscope, we're going to follow a lot of the same processes that we did with our instrumentation. We're going to get that endoscope down uh, and take it out of the case cart. We're going to inspect that endoscope. We're going to look for any damages, any nicks, cuts, anything done to the cord. We're going to go ahead and prepare our solution. So we're going to press our button and fill our sinks again with that solution to dilution of our enzymatic. We're going to prime those six ports on our endoscope. So we have our top three ports on the top of the endoscope. And then we have the three discs on the base. And again, you're going to prime those with that 15 cc's of enzymatic solution. We're going to soak that endoscope and cable for 15 minutes in our enzymatic bath. We're then going to take that scope out. We're going to rinse it under cool running water for 60 seconds. We want to make sure we are rinsing that endoscope and especially that end connector. And we want to make sure we get all of that enzymatic 
and bioburden off of our scopes. We're going to then take and flush our ports that we just primed. So you got six ports. So you're going to flush each port for 20 seconds each. You're going to spray the back of the housing, brush it, give that scope a final rinse um, with our critical water. You're going to inspect the entire endoscope for any damages or visible soil. And if you choose to use chemical disinfection, um, you can go at that with that would be when you do that at this point is uh, put the chemical disinfection on there. Of course, we always recommend that you follow the disinfectant IFU for that process. And once the chemical disinfectant is rinsed off, you're going to go ahead and pass it through to prep and pack. And they're going to go ahead and package and sterilize that endoscope for use. Great. Well, thank you for going through those steps because I think it really just shows you that there's a lot of time and effort that goes into decontamination, and processing of robotic instruments. So from your experience, should there be any conversations about adding additional staff when introducing a robotic service program? So do you have any advice for our listeners for that? I think, you know, just hearing all of those steps (laughs) and listening to it, there's a lot there. So, you know, I think it all depends on your current case volume and what you're seeing. So I think it could definitely be um, a conversation you can have with leadership it never hurts to have an additional person on staff. We all know that. Um, there are other mm-hmm. challenges that are faced in our SPD departments. So again, you know, talking through some of that and just bringing the level of awareness to your leadership around the process of reprocessing can help them understand what your department needs to be successful. So bringing in leadership early, having those conversations early as to what this process looks like what your current status is in your department is really um, going to help set you up for success. So I would definitely encourage having those conversations. So when I think about robotic instruments, I mentally lump them in with laparoscopic instruments. And I think that's because, you know, they're both kind of used for that minimally evasive procedure. Currently, there is a focus on installation integrity testing. And I think that's because it centers around this newest annex in the Amy ST79. So can you talk about how robotic instrumentation is a little bit different? Yeah, this is a, this is a question that comes up frequently, um, whether we're trainings, doing our uh, live webinars, um, when our teams are out taking care of our care teams. You know, when you look at our instruments and, you know, we, we do use them, it's laparoscopic, we have a scope, we have instruments that look very similar. But if you were to actually visibly touch the instrumentation yourself, you can tell that they're made of a different um, material. So when we're looking at regular hand hand laparoscopic instruments, if you will, you can you can feel that you you can feel the differences. Our instruments are made of fiberglass and epoxy. So in our IFU, we don't we don't call out insulation testing um, just because our instruments are not built in the same manner. Instrument inspection is also an important process in the reprocessing. Can you talk about some of the key areas folks should be looking at during inspection? And are there any things that we should be avoiding or things that cause damage to the instrument? So, yes, yes and yes and yes. (laughs) When we're looking at this, you know, are there things that we can look at for sure? We want to make sure that we're always checking the integrity of our instruments. When our instruments come down and they come to decontam, even before they even get to decontam, in the OR it really starts. When they look at those instruments, if they're seeing frayed cables, any damages, any shearing of the shaft where that epoxy and fiberglass is, 
you know, we want to make sure we are keyed into that and we're looking and we're inspecting these instruments all the time. So really, OR, SPD, when they get down to SPD and we're in the process of reprocessing these instruments, we're looking at the distal tip of the instrument, making sure those tips align. We're looking to making sure there's no broken cables or frayed cables. We're looking again, again, that shaft of the instrument, making sure that's got good integrity and there's no dings or burrs or any damages done to that. We're looking at the back of the housing, make sure it's all captured and the discs are there. When we talk about our endoscope, we want to make sure our endoscope doesn't have any cuts or damage to the cords. We want to make sure the eyes of the lenses are appropriate and they're not crisscross or damaged. Uh, we want to look at the base of the housing and also the button pack on the back to make sure that it's not cracked or damaged in any way. So these are just a few areas that we want to look at when we inspect our instrumentation. Um, can these damages ha happen in SPD? Sure. You know, in a perfect world, we'd like to say that our instruments are, you know, placed to the side, nothing's around them. And, you know, they've got dedicated things, dedicated yeah. personnel and dedicated space. But in the real world, that doesn't happen. You know, we have sinks that maybe aren't quite big enough. We have total joints stacked up next to us. We've got a lot of things that we're working through throughout the day, and we're touching a lot of different equipment. So we just want to make sure that when we are using the Da Vinci stuff, that we do know that, you know, we have to inspect it. We got to make sure we have the right space um, so that we can help limit those damages that we'll often didn't see. So. Discolorization of the instrument tips. Now, I know that this drives some people crazy, and I think that's because, you know, they think it's not clean. Can you talk about when discolorization of the tips is appropriate and when it's not? Sure. So discolorization of the instrument tips, believe me, I worked in the OR. I was a scrub tech first. So whenever we had instruments that came up that didn't look 100% or maybe, you know, in question, we'd always send them down. Mm -hmm. um, but discolorization of the instrument tips actually happens. It's the iron oxidide. It's, you know, it's normal. We do have customer facing letters about that. Um, you know, what we don't want to see is people in reprocessing, taking a wire bristle brush to the instrument to try to really get that instrument super shiny and clean. Um, that help, that removes that passivation layer that helps preserve our instruments. That also could reduce the lives of our instruments. Um, okay. Just because when we're vigorously rubbing, we could also be doing some damages to those cables and pulleys. So again, you know, we do see some of that discoloration. Again, discolorization and bio burden are two totally different things. So that's one thing to just keep in mind when we're doing our inspections. Can you also talk about the different accessory groups with the robotic instruments and any damage that folks should be looking out for? Sure, so we do have two accessory groups, um, actually three if you count the trays. So we'll start with that one. The trays, you always just want to make sure those trays are in good working order. I know with our endoscope trays or um, the plastic ones, a lot of times when we would be on site, we would see cracks and damages on the trays or the lids mm -hmm. maybe damaged where one side would lock and one side wouldn't. Um, we really want to make sure that we reorder trays and get new trays in because the endoscope needs to be protected at the distal tip, and oftentimes that's where we'll see the damage. So again, that's if right. you have broken or damaged trays, you know it's a good time to look into potentially replacing those trays. So again, always inspecting those trays. We also have our accessory group one, and that, that includes our cannulas and our operators 
any of our release kits, Hassan cone, instrument introducers, gauge pins, and our suction irrigator kit. So when we look at those, the biggest thing that we want, we want to call out on is the cannula. So the cannulas will often be damaged too. That goes kind of unrecognized to the, to the naked eye. Like when you're looking at a cannula, we want to make sure that we're checking to make sure that the cannula is true and round. So we have what's called gauge pins that we like to see the department use over in the prep and pack area where we drop the gauge pin through the trocar to make sure the trocar is true. The reason why we do this is because when we use those instruments through the trocar, if the instrument or if the trocar is not true, the instrument could then drag on the side of the trocar causing um, some of that epoxy to fall off and damage and burst onto the instrumentation. So if you are seeing those damages to your instrument, it's a good idea or a good indicator to start checking your cannulas with those gauge pins. But then we have our accessory group too, which is our cords. So our monopolar and bipolar cords and our light guide cables, we make sure that we check those cords each and every time. We wanna make sure we're just checking the integrity of the cord that there's no uh, damage done to those as well, no cuts, and they're in good working order. So most robotic instrumentation have that maximum number of uses and then the maximum number of reprocessing cycles. From your experience, what is the best way folks can track this information? So there's a number of ways that you can track this information. We know that Keydot has a system out there to do this, and there are a few others on the market. Um, it is really up to the hospital what they what they want to implement and how they want to track them. Uh, we set the recommendations. We will work with your teams. Um, a lot of times what we've recommended in the past is that we peel pack our instrumentation so we're only utilizing what we open. And then the robot counts the instrument uses. Typically speaking, if the robot's counting the instrument uses, it's not going to reach its re uh, reprocessing cycle lives. So the instruments, they do take some time to reprocess and decontam. There's a lot of uh, hands-on manual reprocessing with that. So it's a good time when we look at those numbers, kind of paring down those trays or placing everything in peel pack really helps streamline their processes. So that kind of leads me into my next question. Do you have any advice on how to maximize the use life of, of instrumentation? Sure. So when we look at, I mean, it all starts, it starts, you know, right, right from the OR, um, that point of use care and handling, making sure that's being followed right on down to decontamination, following the reprocessing IFUs, not using those wire bristle brush brushes to clean the instrument tips mm -hmm. and um, using those soft nylon bristle brushes to get those, that bio burden debris off there. And really just following the IFU, looking at some of the best care and handling practices, you know, making sure when we're transporting those instruments that the tips are protected, we're not placing trays on top of the instrumentation, and we're just being aware of the surroundings and, and how we're uh, transporting those instruments, whether it be from surgery, in decontam, over to prep and pack, just kind of keeping them and being aware of our surroundings. And also when they're over in prep and pack and we're waiting to package them, be aware of how we're storing them. Let's not just place them all in a crate or a bin and push them to the side. I've seen them where they've sometimes been stuck out or the tips are poking through or, you know, some of those things. Just being aware of kind of how we're handling those will help prolong the instrument lives. 
Hey, let's pause our conversation for just a second. Are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, you are in the right place. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code CRCST. Again, the code for this episode is CRCST. Now, let's get back to our conversation. So does Intuitive have any other resources available for customers to use or to utilize? Yeah, so Intuitive has a lot of great resources. Um, One of the resources that we just recently started launching is the reprocessing training. Um, And that is a live webinar. It's currently done every month. Um, Our next one is coming up on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And And then the next one is March 13th. So they're typically offered at 7 a.m., 10 a.m., and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know, we've gotten some really great traction on that. We have a live Q&A at the end. There's a place where you can put your questions in while the, while, uh, the webinar is in process. And uh, that's just one of the great new resources. We also have Intuitive Learning, uh, which is a module system where we can direct our SPD staff to go on in there and it's a different learning platform. It'll show them the IFUs. It'll give you videos of the steps, um, but it again will walk you through that process. The one really nice thing about the live webinars is that the teams are still available. They they still get that one CEU. So great. Yeah. So at the end of the live webinar, um, there's a QR code. You scan it. You take a quick survey. And then um, you'll get your CEU, which is pretty great for our teams that are looking for some of those education credits. The intuitive learning uh, modules, though, that they currently do not offer CEUs, because I know that may be a question that pops up, but that's uh, one of those things I just wanted to clarify there. Another great place to get information is the customer portal. So if you don't have access to the customer portal, it is one of the um, most visited sites you know, that we currently have, it's, it's very popular. Um, you know, you'll be able to find instrument utilization. If you are doing advanced exchanges or RMAs, you know, we encourage you to do that through the customer portal. But what that also does is, is within that customer portal, when you're sending those instruments or endoscope back, it'll show you the failure analysis report. So when you're sending those instruments and endoscopes back and you're wondering, geez, what happened? Or I wonder what the damage was or why why was my picture not working? The failure analysis team will go through and do just what they do with the failure analysis team. They open the instrument, they open the endoscopes, they really get a good idea of what's going on. And they'll send you back a failure analysis report and that's kept in the customer portal. The reason this is so beneficial is because for our care teams, we can look at, you know, if an endoscope has a certain damage, if we're seeing the same damages over and over, it kind of helps us pinpoint what might be going on, right? So if we notice that maybe our endoscope isn't calibrating, okay, that could be because maybe the enzymatic is not being fully rinsed off of the end connector before it's being connected into the vision cart. So that's a, you know, just a a great way to kind of provide quick education to kind of reduce some of those costs and reduce some of those errors that they may be seeing. So last question, do you have any other advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure, I would say, I would say, you know, when you're looking 
and you're you're doing your reprocessing. And if you are one of those peer-to-peer um, mentors, you know I highly encouraging training your teams and your care teams to the reprocessing of the Da Vinci robotic system and the instruments and accessories. Just kind of getting everybody aware to the IFUs and how to do the reprocessing. Mentoring your your peers, I think, is kind of one of the best things that we can do to kind of help build our departments and our teams. Well, great. Marcy, thank you so much for taking time and sharing uh, your this information and your expertise with our listeners today. Well, thank you so much for having me, John. This was great. Well, folks, that music can mean only one thing. And again, I'm sorry to say that we are out of time for today. Thank you, Marcy and Intuitive, for being on the show. For more information about Intuitive and education, go to intuitive.com and start your robotic journey. HSPA episode 103 is now in the books. We are done for today. Thanks for listening to the show. Hey, if you're looking for more education, if you're looking for CEs, each episode we do on this podcast is on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.